Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner. And in this episode, I'm joined by columnist, mummy blogger and author, Emily Leary. Although some of you may know her better as a mummy too. Now, you don't have to have been listening to this show for very long to know that I know very little about parenting. So I knew I'd learn a lot from Emily. But perhaps what intrigued me the most was how she left a successful job in marketing to pursue her blog full-time before online, personal blogs, all of those sorts of things were were a viable vocation. It was at a time of huge risk. And obviously I wanted to unpick why and how. Emily was way ahead of the curve and I wanted to find out how she navigated that. Long-time listeners will know I am always intrigued by people who've carved their own path to success where there's no blueprint, well-trodden path or even the odd breadcrumb to guide your way. Hence, Uh, I found Emily fascinating. There's no denying that she's made and continues to make a huge success of A Mummy Too with YouTube, recipes, books, columns, TV appearances, etc. So in this conversation, we talk about how it's all unfolded, the mistakes, the triumphs, the future. And we also take an unexpected detour into the weights room. But I'll let you get into the show to discover how that comes about. All the links to Emily, her blog, her YouTube channel, etc. will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But for now, here she is. I loved chatting to Emily. I really, really enjoyed picking her brains. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation. It's Emily Leary from A Mummy 2 on The Emma Gunn Show. Emily Leary. Hello. <laughs> and Mummy too, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is new territory for me. I haven't had that many mummy bloggers on. Yeah, well the whole mummy bloggy thing is a bit weird because you sort of start off as a mum blogger and then you find your niche. So very few people just carry on writing about, you know, little Timmy <laughs> went on the slide today. You sort of find something not more interesting to write about, but you find your little niche, your little corner that makes it more interesting to you. So what start, which is a great sort of starting point of you started the blog because you became a mum. Yeah. So I had my first son and because I worked in quite a high powered job where kind of women were up to a certain level and then it was men at the top, as is very common in marketing. So, so is there a ceiling that you couldn't really see? Yeah. Maybe you could see through it, but not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So teams full of women, but the managers and his manager, they'd be men. Right. So, um, so I had my first son and I kind of kept work and parenting very separate and almost not hidden but I definitely didn't talk about being a mum much at work Mm. and I was pregnant with my second child my daughter and I felt like I needed a place to express how I was getting on with parenting and all the challenges Mm. I was about to face for the second time so I thought well I set up a blog because I know what I'm doing with digital 
mm-hmm. and I will just I'll just put everything on there. It doesn't really matter if nobody reads it. Um, I had inherited a camera from my husband, who's a professional photographer. I'd kind of stolen his oldest camera. Well, that does help when you've got a blog, doesn't it? It does. So I had, and actually my photos were terrible back then, but they were better than phone photos in 2011. Right, so, yeah. you know, I felt very good. <laughs> I thought I was brilliant with my on-camera flash going off everywhere. <laughs> and so I was just having fun and I... I really loved it because it was an opportunity to to kind of use my brain while I was on maternity leave Mm -hmm. um, and to join a community of other bloggers and other mums because I hadn't historically really socialised with other parents. So suddenly I was in this online community where I was meeting new people who had shared experiences. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And so it just, it really did just start off. I think it's quite interesting. Every time I think about writing a journal or a list... I will naturally, because I'm so used to sitting at a keyboard, mm-hmm. I feel like I've lost that skill of, of handwriting. Yeah. And so I wonder whether part of that was why it ended up being online, because actually it was easier to sort of do a brain dump or get your thoughts out via a keyboard. Yes, very much. And also there's a lot less effort in kind of going around with your kids, taking a few photos of kind of the pretty things mm. and, and the nice garden that you've been in and then just whacking them online. You don't even have to write that much if you don't want. It's just yeah. kind of out of your head and onto the page. It was more like scrapbooking in the early days. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of all I was thinking of it as. So I'm terribly disorganised in real life. I'm very <laughs> likely to lose a bill the day it arrives through the letterbox and that right. kind of thing. But online I have my folders and my subfolders. Mm. You know, it, emails in my inbox are the ones that need dealing with. I'm very organised because mm. I worked in, in digital um, and so for me, it made a lot more sense to put everything online where I might actually know where to find it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> that does make a lot more sense. So how, when did it when did it start? What year? Sorry. It was August 2011. Really makes me sound like a total geek loser. But it was on my birthday evening I decided to set up this <laughs> blog because I was obviously an absolute party animal. <laughs> <laughs> were you having a midlife crisis were you like I need to have a cheat I need to do something I think birthdays bring out midlife crises in me yeah I think so so about to have my second child and a little bit worried that while I was out of the game that I would kind of lose my hold my job mm-hmm. might not be there when I go back to you know kind of all the issues mm-hmm. that women about to go on maternity leave tend to feel um so yes to sort of have a little bit of space that was mine and I could keep going and I suppose I was kind of thinking of it from a professional point of view in that it would give me an opportunity to experiment with online and and to understand a different side of what was happening Mm. um among kind of consumers online so there was that what there wasn't was this kind of big um aspiration to make it this big money-making website Mm. which of course people today they know blogs can make money but in Mm. 2011 Unless you were really lucky, that just wasn't going to happen. Right, but that was kind of the thing. Like, starting in 2011, if you're consistent, if your content's good, Mm. you probably had more of a chance then of being able to grow into something bigger than maybe you do now, would you say? Yes, no, definitely. And I've said that a lot when I've been at conferences and, you know, sort of new bloggers have said, how do we break into the market? And Mm. I've said, one of the main things is to (laughs) stick with it. I've Mm. seen so many people come and go. One of the advantages I now hold is that my blog's been around eight years and that's ancient in blogging terms. Do you say nearly 10 years? (laughs) (laughs) Just keep rounding it up. (laughs) Nearly 100 years, close enough. Are you at that point? I do that because I've been doing, uh, I've been working, writing for like 17 and a half, 18 years. So I'm just like nearly 20 years. Yeah, Yeah, I get very confused as well. You know, like I'm like, I can't remember quite how long I've been a parent and I think well obviously as as long as your oldest child Emily it's not hard to work out but yeah and you had a successful career in digital marketing is that yes. right and yeah were you, 
always how was was there a plan when you started out in that did you have like this is what I do with want to do with my career because what you've you've done is taken quite a a detour Mm. and probably a leap that I'm guessing when you started out in digital marketing you never anticipated was going to be on the path ahead yeah I, I guess I had quite an unusual start because I left school when I was just turned 12 um, and my mum home educated me, but I was massive nerd. So I really wanted to get all my qualifications. So I went to college early at 14 to start getting oh, wow. my GCSEs. And then at 15, I was in this kind of further education college where most of my friends had kind of gone through school, dropped out and then come to college. So they were much older than me. And I was a little kind of 15 year old clueless nerd. Um, and by the time I got to university, I knew I wanted to do some kind of writing. Um, and so I kind of got into writing basic press releases um, just kind of through, you know, somebody recommends you for a tiny bit of work, a tiny bit more. And so before I knew it, I was in PR and marketing. So by sort of, I don't know, 2005, so by 23, I was running the PR department of a bigger marketing company wow. with sort of eight to 10 staff and lots of responsibility and budgets and things, um, just entirely by accident. Mm. So by the time um I had kind of given it up to do blogging full time I was a specialist in digital because that's what I'd grown up Mm. with and so I was looking after kind of digital marketing strategy for fairly boring companies like telecoms and energy companies and things Mm. so we were creating all this lovely engaging stuff and we were putting it out there and then people were going why is my bill not come today Mm. and it was kind of slightly disheartening Mm. you know although there was lots of creativity it was quite disheartening so to take kind of every all the skills that I'd learnt, but then use them in a way where I could speak directly with my audience, no stakeholders, no sign mm. off, and then based on their response, allow that to inform what I wrote next, but still in a way that I wanted to. Mm. And that is utterly addictive. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go a little bit. Can we please go back to leaving school at twelve? Mm. That's I don't think I've ever heard that before. But obviously it worked out really well. So why why did you do you want to did you want to come out of school? And go into homeschooling? Yeah, I loved primary school. I um, was always kind of ahead. So I think I was an early developer. So I was super smart at school. I think now everyone's kind of caught up a little bit. And I'm not Mm -hmm. quite the genius I was as a kid. But I was an early developer. And and they let me be. So they gave me extra maths books. They let me do Mm -hmm. extra reading. They let me read whatever I liked. Um, and it was lovely and I didn't have to worry about anything. And then I went to secondary school and it was all very structured and never from that point onwards to now have I coped well with kind of really structured environments, hated Ah. working in offices, hated being at school, secondary school. So it just made me really, really miserable. And, um, my mum knew that I was very much a self-starter, and so, I mean, there were some really horrible times and I play it down now, but as a mum myself, the amount of crying and weeping mm. and utter hopelessness that I felt at kind of 12 obviously had a massive impact on my mum. And so, yeah, and so she took me out. And it was actually great for me because I could just focus on what I wanted to mm. focus on. Um, and I really loved learning. My mum was doing a psychology degree at the time and she afterwards she became a college lecturer. But I used to help kind of write out her revision cards and things. So I'd also be reading all of these kind of degree level psychology textbooks, mm. which gave me so much freedom. And I still to this day, I'm just I don't cope well with that kind of organized system. So it worked mm. really well for me in the same way as blogging and everything does now. Yeah, I think it's really, really fascinating that if you were always slightly ahead of the curve to then suddenly be put into like battery chicken school system where you're 
this is what you will do in this 12 months. I think it's changed a lot now. You know, this was, when was it? It was 1993 that I started mm. secondary school. And I think, you know, it was only just beginning that schools would understand, for example, dyslexia. So mm. I'm not dyslexic, but I remember any child that was struggling mm. was put into the remedial reading group at mm. primary school. They could have all sorts of challenges. It could be, you know, attention challenges, autism, for example. And they'd all just be put in one group and put to one side. Mm. And then they might end up in a specialist school or specialist unit within a school when they went to secondary school. And I think, you know, that isn't quite so bad now schools recognize that children have different learning styles and they might have different social difficulties and that sort of thing and so they can allow for that a little bit more but often it is about kind of parents advocating to make sure that kids are getting what they need Mm. is there anything as obviously it did you very very well but do you look back and, and wonder or feel that there's anything that maybe you missed out on um no (laughs) brilliant (laughs) I mean I I was quite a late social bloomer so I think it's only really been in the last 10 years I've had proper female friends Mm. um I found it easier to make male friends where male friends tend to be a lot easier to drop and pick up again if you haven't spoken to one of your male friends for kind of six months then you go hi how are you doing they seem to be fine with it but female friendships tend to actually require you to remember them and I wasn't good at that when I was younger in the last 10 years of becoming a parent I've built all of these amazing female friendships Mm. and I kind of I do think to all my female friends like where have you been all my life this is amazing so maybe that but I'm not sure that was school so much as just I was an early developer in some ways and a late developer in others. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) It's like a, I feel like I'm on the couch now. No, I just like, because I think if I had been given the option to leave school at 12, I would have really wanted to. And the fact that you did it and have gone on to be such a huge success is really comforting. Because then I can think about in a parallel reality, I did it and I was fine. But also I do, I went to a very strict private or girls school and there are definitely social elements that I mm. look, I just still struggle with now as a 41 and a half year old and think, yeah, that's because I, I, that was a very limited sort of social circle. Yeah. And I think there's always that thing that everybody else seems to get it and mm. yet somebody didn't give you the instructions. Yeah. And my son's on the autistic spectrum and actually all the way through his diagnostic process and there were there are lots and lots of meetings and assessments and things they don't the doctor just doesn't look and go yeah um Mm. and I just kept looking at her and going that's me as well so you know who knows what would have happened if you know if there'd been autism diagnoses kind of more readily available Mm. in the 80s which of course there weren't um but yeah I think that in many ways I felt very confused by school but I seem to have got the hang of it now it's only taken me 36 years I'm all right now yeah I also feel I had um the author Sarah Wilson on the podcast recently and she has a great phrase which is life naturals Mm. when you just look at somebody who just seems to just glide through life they are a life natural and every now and again if I'm in a situation I found it to be a very comforting phrase Mm. because if I feel like I'm really struggling and then I see somebody not struggling I can just go yeah they're a life natural it's fine and kind of just I like that pigeonhole it and then it doesn't make me I don't compare myself to it. Yeah, and I think it's very hard to accept. I know that my son is very hard on himself if he doesn't get something Mm -hmm. straight away. And he's at that point where he has to learn that nobody gets things straight away in all fields. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't walk into a maths class and go, yeah, oh yeah, algebra, obvious. You know, it takes some learning. Um, And I think because he is quite bright as well, he just expects to be natural Mm. at everything and nobody is naturally good at everything. (laughs) No, no, it's true. Serena Williams works very, very hard to be the greatest of all time Mm. let's face it 
So digital marketing, that was 12 years. Yeah. That's a long time. A big part of my life, yeah. Mm. And you started out doing the press releases, the mm-hmm. gas and energy companies, and you moved on. Did it get more glamorous? No, not really. <laughs> I think the most glamorous thing I ever did was, um, do you remember the Adam and Jane TV series of adverts for BT? So it was Chris Marshall. Um, yes, I do. Yes, I do. So, <laughs> so my kind of my claim to fame. He got one over, didn't he? <laughs> um, I yeah, it was he's all very fine. dramatic. He's fine. He's he's fine. fine. Um, but they got married, and so while the marriage was kind of being teased on on TV, we set up the Facebook campaign where you could vote on how on what would, the marriage would be like, so you could vote on the dress, and it was. I mean, it was tacky, but it was fun, and that was my campaign. That's ahead of its so, time as well. Yeah, I mean, the funniest thing we did was on April Fool's Day. Um, so <laughs> I'm quite, I'm quite a metalhead, really. So I'd found this what? picture of some fairly serious new rock boots, you know, with the studs on and the buckles mm-hmm. and everything. And we posted them on the Facebook page. I don't know how we got this through sign-off. We posted it on the BT <laughs> Facebook page and said, this is what Jane will be wearing as her shoes for her wedding. And it caused it caused national outrage. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a bit of national outrage to get the heart rate going. Oh, no, I'm going to have to look up that campaign now. So, that's, so you're a metalhead. Yeah. Go on, get into it. We've talked about Caroline Hirons off tape. She's my metal buddy. <laughs> We properly bonded at a Motley Crue concert, so come on, tell me your metal. Um, So uh, my husband uh, used to work for Earache, so we like all of the classic Earache bands like um, Napalm Death. And his favourite is Megadeth. I prefer Metallica, but we try to keep the relationship going despite (laughs) all of that. Opposites attract. (laughs) You can make compromises. But my, my son is really into electronic dance music which is disappointing, but I still love him. <laughs> um, but my daughter went to her school disco, so they're playing like, you know, I'll be riding shotgun and all that kind of thing. <coughs> and she went up to the teacher who was being the DJ and said, ask to play Megadeth. And he played it for her. And apparently oh. all the other little six and seven-year-olds looked utterly bemused as she just kind of did air guitar in the middle of the disco, which is just brilliant. Have I'm very ever, proud. Have you ever been prouder? Yeah, that, it really was like, that's it, parenting, done, tick. <laughs> I like the fact that parenting hasn't mellowed your music. No, and I don't think it needs to. The only thing is that sometimes I'll put on a song and then realise how sweary it is. <laughs> You'll think, oh, this is a great song. No, no, turn it off, turn it off. When my mum used to drive my brother and I to school, I think maybe my brother had already gone to the, the big school at this point, so it was just me and my mum in the car. My mum, on a loop, and this was in a cassette deck, would play uh, Meat Loaf, Bat Out of Hell amazing and that it's not that it's particularly sweary but there's a song on the album which is um the uh chorus is must have been while you were kissing me mm-hmm. and as a child as like a seven eight year old i thought it was mustard and why you who i assumed were two women probably strippers mm. um were kissing him so in my so <laughs> <laughs> i had i had projected a threesome onto meatloaf's lyrics at the age of seven or eight i was like well this makes sense rock star um mustard and why you whereas actually his his lyrics are relatively wholesome they are for rock well jim steinman aren't they yeah so even kind of that the whole anything for love but i won't do that he's saying he won't cheat it's just all very wholesome and romantic (laughs) i always assumed it was something else (laughs) 
There's many a listener going, me too, M's, me too, E.G. Um, anyway, oh, well, that's interesting. So Metallica and Megadeth. Mm. So, are you, oh, you have already told me you're going to go to a festival. Yeah, we're doing um, Camp Festival. What does that mean? Is that a rock one? It's it's a family festival. It's the first time we're taking the kids camping at a music festival. I'm Yikes. a little bit scared. I want to take them to download, but I figure go to a more family-focused one, right, yeah, ease them in. See whether what's particularly interesting is we're arriving on the Thursday and my slot talking about the book isn't until the Saturday. So I'm going to be greasy and tired <laughs> and slightly harassed. And then I'm going to walk on stage and be a parenting expert. That should be fun. <laughs> is there not a hotel nearby? You can just make a quick dash. And have a quick I think that may shower. happen. Yeah, I, I think you should treat yourself. <laughs> Um, so, right, you have this brilliant career as a digital marketer and you're doing very well, thank you very much, the BT campaign, creating national outrage with a pair of <laughs> biker boots, studded biker boots. Um, and then you have your first child, you ha- you're about to have your second and mm-hmm. you start a mummy too. How long were they, did they run alongside each other? Um, about two years and I mainly was a consultant so I would move between roles right. which given that I've just said about kind of being fairly bad at committing to structured <laughs> things is, it will come as no surprise um and I just got more and more into it to the point where you know most people would go for a cigarette break, break and I'd go for kind of a toilet break to do some blogging on my phone because I was just so into it and there were questions coming in um so it was about two years in that I had a little bit of work coming in and I thought I could probably write a book. I could probably get enough traffic to to be able to earn a living from this, but I can't because I'm also doing a job that I do love, but takes all of my time. Mm. Um, and so the very smart thing to do if you're starting a business for yourself is to wait until you're earning enough to safely give up your main career. And that's mm. absolutely what I'm advocating. But what I did <laughs> is just handed in my notice and just thought, I believe I can do this based on what I can achieve in the tiny number of hours that I have available at the moment. I'm going to do it. And then in three months, it's all gone horribly wrong. I'm pretty sure I've got enough experience to get another job. Right. So that was that's what I did. And if yeah. you were consulting, I guess that... You know, you can obviously pick up some of those things. So it maybe didn't feel like too much of a clean break, like leaving a a salaried role in the same business. Yeah, I figured that. And also in the, the final kind of consultancy, which was sort of six months that I'd done before quitting completely um, in the interview, I hadn't written anything about the fact that I had a blog. Mm. And he said, why didn't you? put your blog on your cv this is incredible you know you're showing that you have a real understanding of digital and you've Mm -hmm. built a community and I was kind of like "Mm," because I was still quite apologetic about being a mum and having this thing on the side Mm -hmm. um and that was I think actually that's the mistake he made is telling me that I should be proud of my blog because then by the time it got to (laughs) would you like to stay on in this job I was like actually no (laughs) that's interesting so did you feel at any point that you had to withhold being a mother and really enjoying being a mum and having an identity around that, did you feel like you had to withheld, withhold that from the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's that kind of, you think you're being feminist, but actually you're being the absolute opposite of it. I thought that I needed to kind of play in the boys club and, you know, and have cool things that I liked and, you know, be very business driven. Mm. And you can absolutely be all of those things and still be a woman who likes traditionally female things mm. or, you know, whose family mean a lot to her. Um, and it took me a long time, probably even even only in the last few years, have I been able to just you know say it really proudly and not feel like it it kind of if it diminishes me in anybody's eyes, that's their problem rather than yes. mine. 
It's that thing, isn't it? As when the day that you stop worrying about what other people think and start worrying about what you think. Mm, so if someone looks down at you because you're a mummy blogger, you can be like, well, "Get out of my eye line." Yeah, absolutely. And actually, and that's you know that's happened in so many ways. I was wearing a, a Strong Girls Club T-shirt. Um, it's a brand I really like. Um, and some teenage boys laughed at me. And a few years ago, it would have crushed me, and I would have gone home and put that T-shirt in the cupboard and never worn it again. But I just laughed back and thought, probably stronger than you, mate, and kind of walked on. Did you go up to them and go, "How many followers you got on Instagram?" <laughs> <laughs> that would have had him. Yeah. Do you want a selfie? It's the equivalent of a headlock at this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. I could have just pretended that they knew who I was and been like, do you want the autograph? It's fine. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of strength, can we talk about weightlifting? I'd love to talk about weightlifting. I know you do, which is why I really want to talk about it. <laughs> so you, you're massively into weightlifting. I absolutely love it. I got into it completely by accident. So there was a you flyer. Tripped, you fell, you lifted it. <laughs> well, you know how you kind of like, you want to do more exercise in your life. Most people kind of, you know, we tell ourselves when I start exercising again. Mm. Um, and you watch kind of your friends and your counterparts kind of get really into running or swimming or something. And you think that's mm. awesome, but I really don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and I'd only ever been to the gym and with a focus of let's burn as many calories as I can. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're on the elliptical trainer and you're just watching it tick up and you think 100 calories, that's not even a slice of bread. What's going on <laughs> here? This is horrible. Um, and so I was really demotivated to do it again and i had um viral meningitis um two or three years ago yikes yeah which was nasty so it's not um as life-threatening as bacterial meningitis but it is an an inflammation of the lining around your brain so it's all the same symptoms as bacterial but not the sepsis that is the lethal part um so i was in hospital for a couple of weeks my muscles really atrophied in the months afterwards because i wasn't active Mm. two years later and i still wasn't very active i'd kind of I just lost all confidence. So, yeah, we saw this flyer for um, for kind of PT sessions. One PT session a week included in a really quite reasonable gym fee because it was a tiny gym. So we went in, and I am very British and polite. So by the time he'd showed us round and given us the forms to sign up and I'd realised it was weightlifting-based, mm. I was too polite to say, no, thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> and there was kind of like a three-month notice period. So I thought, well, if it's terrible... The worst that happens is, you know, I only go once a week to be Mm. tortured. And after three months, I say, this isn't for me. Mm. Um, And I was horrendously bad in the first few sessions to the point that my personal trainer now says, like, I I can say this now, but you had no strength, no core. Thank you very much. Um, And I said to him, you know, I'm not particularly coordinated. I really struggle with physical instructions. Mm. This is going to take a long time before we get anywhere. He was really patient with me. And now... I'm really genuinely strong and I love it. And I can, you know, I can do squats with big weights across my back and deadlifts and all that kind of thing. And I can um, help people up the stairs at train stations and things. And it's just so empowering. Really, really love it. That's so interesting. My friend Porna does it too. Oh, yes. We know each other. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, and she talks about the, empower- the empowering element mm. of weightlifting. Did you feel your body changing? Because you've not come in here looking Hulk-like. You're, you're a slender lady. I wouldn't think, oh, she can bench something. Because that's a misconception. That you get really, that you get really chunky. Bulky, yeah. The weird thing is that as soon as you start to see the numbers kind of tick up in terms of what you can lift, mm. there's a really slow letting go of all of that kind of cultural messaging that teaches you that you need to take up as small a possible space in the world as you possibly can Mm. and you stop bringing your shoulders kind of forward and trying to shrink and you start pulling your shoulders back and standing Mm. that little bit bigger and so 
changing shape becomes the kind of the visible evidence of you getting stronger. Mm. And so it's just all positive. But no, I've actually, I've shrunk. And what's really interesting is in terms of the number on the scales, in my 20s, I was much lighter. Mm. But, you know, my clothes fit so differently mm. and they're so much more comfortable. Um, the only problem is that obviously I'm changing all the time because I'm getting stronger and my body keeps changing shape. So I feel like I need to buy a lot of new clothes. <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> I approve this message. <laughs> but I do think it's a misconception. I've uh, had a fitness trainer, Laura Biceps, Laura mm. Hoggings on recently. And she is she's written this fantastic book about the empowerment of weightlifting about actually what it does is it it's thermogenesis is it thermogenesis where mm. it basically you burn loads of calories after your workout because if you the more lean muscle mass you have the more calories you'll naturally burn yeah um when you're not doing anything particularly active and i had completely forgotten because I do love my cardio so much and I get such a sense of achievement out of cardio, but I've really recently, since speaking to her, added weights in. Mm-hmm. And there is, you do carry yourself a different way after you've like done a superset of something. Yeah, you really do. And I don't kind of big up the weight loss thing because obviously women shouldn't feel that they need mm. to be a particular weight, but I have lost about 10 kilos in the last six months without dieting Mm. and obviously you know when you're a food writer you're eating all the time (laughs) Um, the only thing that I've changed is I focus much more on having enough protein because that was the one thing that I wasn't really doing I'm not really a big protein eater so I have kind of lentils and things but when you actually kind of track it for a couple of weeks in you know an app not forever because it's not good to track your calories for the rest of your life nobody should do that Mm. Um, but track it for a little bit and kind of look and I wasn't really eating enough protein to build muscle and suddenly the motivation to get stronger was all the motivation I needed to eat more protein Uh, was that by tracking macros more than calories yeah, yeah absolutely and again I don't think anybody needs to do that forever in a day because obviously you get the hang of it and you know that if you've just eaten kind of you know like a sandwich from the supermarket and some crisps and some toast for breakfast that you by the time you in the pasta in the evening you probably haven't had enough protein you kind of you know that you haven't yeah um so I'll have kind of a protein shake sometimes and not worry about what my overall calories have been for the day and yet yeah my whole body has changed shape um and once a month at the gym they do a kind of you know they do the impedance scan where they tell you how your body is kind of made up and I've massively lost visceral fat so that's the fat that wraps around your organs and I'm not bothered about kind of having a belly for example but Mm. I am proud that I've essentially increased my life expectancy Mm. by getting rid of that fat around my organs so yeah it's been just I can't think of a negative it's just been brilliant what kind of weights is it is it getting in the squat rack and using a big barbell or yeah, is it free weights. Yes, initially, um, I would do kind of yeah the big, the big weights that go right across your shoulders or mm. that you're picking up um, with my personal trainer, and then the machines on my days without him. And then as I'm getting braver, it's most mostly the big long bars, but mm. some of the kind of smaller free weights as well. Um, and even when I was at a conference in Italy a few weeks ago and there weren't any weights in this tiny little gym in the basement of a little hotel, I still managed to do kind of, you know, just split squats with my hands in front of me and things mm. just to kind of keep it going. Yeah. Because you get to that point where it hurts more if you don't work <laughs> out regularly. If you take a break and then you do squats, you wake up the next day and you're kind of like, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it is an amazing feeling. Doms really hurt though. Mm-hmm. Um, but if my muscles looked like they felt when I have doms, then I reckon I'm ripped. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. And actually, it, I haven't 
been I've only been once in the last week because I've been so busy and obviously your muscles appear to shrink because they're not swollen mm. because you're not working out and I'm going I've lost all of my muscles <laughs> so I need to get back to the gym and then they'll swell up and then I'll feel really buff do you follow the rock on Instagram I do and my husband is quite a big fan right um he's just he just did a video where he showed people around his new iron paradise the one he's had custom built mm-hmm. is, is that your goal <laughs> Mommy <too. laughs> iron well actually next to our gym there's um it used to be a, like a little soft play and it's vacant so my husband obviously is a photographer and illustrator um I like cooking and then our PT has become kind of a friend so we're thinking we could buy it and make it all three so it'd be like a kitchen and a, oh. and a, and a photography studio and a, we're thinking no that's, that's a really weird business mix that's not no I quite happen. like it weird's a good mix <laughs> you ever had a bag of revels <laughs> that's a bag of sweets if you're listening in the US I don't know as if they have revels in the US no I don't know anyway well, well speaking of food you do have a book out at the moment I do uh, number one bestseller yeah it got Excuse to number me? one in food and drink on Amazon how wow congratulations there was a lot of jumping around the kitchen when was that there? Happened. get yeah. your kids to eat anything mm-hmm. quite the claim is leary yeah i mean that's the thing the publishers wanted that title so i was like okay i'm gonna have to test this a lot it's gonna have to be true because i've, I've worked a long time on this reputation i'm not gonna kill it with one book <laughs> well so what was the reputation that you built um through the blog so i have never been super glossy I'm fairly clueless when it comes to fashion so that has never been my skill set I think I've been asked where I got my top from once (laughs) in eight years so that should give you a little clue um but yeah I had always on the blog shared kind of tips for busy parents so things that I was doing whether it was food or a day out or a holiday or just something that said I work full-time too Mm. this is something you can do in half an hour it'll work you'll be fine. You won't feel like Nigella, but you won't feel like a terrible parent for at least five minutes because we all do all the time. So, you know, right. and if this will just kind of give you a little bit of a break, you can just get this on the table and forget mm-hmm. about it. Or, you know, you can go out to this park and I'll tell you where the changing tables are and that kind of thing. So I built that up. And even with the kind of the brand partnerships that I'd done, it had only been the ones that really fitted with what I believed. Mm. And so, yeah, kind of eight years of, of promising and doing my very best to deliver was really important to me and people were coming to me for recipes and things so the book needed to to be in the same vein and offer recipes that my readers had come to love Mm. but also do something special something that would give readers a reason to go out and buy a physical book as opposed to just say oh we can get similar on the blog Mm. what because you said at the top of the show about finding your niche Mm. how long had the blog been going before it really became very food centric um I think that the second blog post we ever did was um, some rainbow cupcakes. Anyone who's listening who knows how to bake, I didn't eight years ago. I mean, I, I was a very creative cook because I came from quite a poor background. and So we had to be with all our herbs and spices and stuff. But I was not a particularly good baker. And I didn't know that you're supposed to use bake-stable colouring. So that's kind of like a gel kind as opposed to the liquid kind that you pour in. It goes just kind of green in the oven. So we kind of something new. So we'd made these beautiful rainbow cupcakes, put them in the oven, they came out like a swamp. But I was so proud of them. I obviously had to just no quality filter in 2011. Um, 
but they still got the most interaction of all of the posts that I put live right. that month. People really liked seeing us cook. And mm. obviously tiny hands cooking is, you know, is a total win mm. to the point where now my kids' hands look quite grown up. <laughs> and my brother is a product designer and he said, I could build you little prosthetic like toddler hands. I'm like, mm, slightly dark, that but thank you. <laughs> that sounds really creepy. But you know, anything for the clicks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I am I, obviously quite into my stats and things it's a big part of running any kind of online marketing so I was following kind of what the readers loved and the numbers mm-hmm. and they loved food uh, and I loved it mm-hmm. so I just started cooking and also food is just such a joy to photograph it doesn't move like people which is great um, and it's got that lovely kind of ordered chaos and you can make it really colorful and you can style it and it was really important to me that the food that I photographed and put onto the website was as it could look. So, you know, you see the crazy um, videos on that go viral where they're putting kind of PVA glue and, mm. and they're spraying it with shoe polish and all sorts of mm. weird stuff. I've never done that and I never You've will never do that. It. No, because I just think... That well, was going to be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a waste of money. I prefer to actually, you know, feed the kids after I've been cooking. Mm. Um, but also, again, it's just another way to disappoint people. You know, like, mm. it, 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 for me, it's just another version of kind of like the the clothing stores where you know you think you're buying something but actually it was just all clipped at the back and it's not Mm. going to fit anybody Mm -hmm. like that Mm. you know i don't want somebody to look at one of my recipes and think oh i'll make that and then it turns out completely different because you know i've been yeah painting it (laughs) yeah i've had that with every single cookbook that i've used except for one i started using recently the seven day basket and i was like oh my god everything i'm making looks exactly how it looks in the book this is amazing yeah and it absolutely should i just think it's it's mean when it doesn't (laughs) it is mean it's it's like anything though as you say it could be fashion it could be a beauty product that you think is going to do a certain thing and then you use it and it's like hmm actually one of my friends is um, a makeup artist and occasionally I'll get sucked in by because I'm terrible at makeup I have mine done if I have to do anything kind of filming and occasionally I'll get sucked in by like a a tutorial and then Mm -hmm. it'll say these are the products you need to buy and I'll send it to her and go is this real is this real and she'll say she's a makeup artist Emily no it will not just go onto your face like that with a finger and it's so disappointing it's true that's the thing I, I even me and I've done makeup training um, I still get lost and almost get hypnotized by those two tours. I'm like, how how did she apply that with her finger? And then I rewind and, oh, it's because she did it like that. Mm. You have to really unpick it. It's definitely a real skill. And what was really nice when we were shooting the recipes for the book, so everything on the blog is mine. I photograph it myself. For the book, thank you very much, Tom. Tom Register shot it all. And But I was there. There was a food stylist and everything after it was photographed You know, went into... Um, you know, into sealed containers, into the fridge. And then at lunchtime, we got it all out and we ate everything that had been shot and so on, you know, kind of had the the afternoons for breakfast the next day. So again, everything was completely edible. There wasn't anything kind of stuffed underneath to make it look fatter or juicier or anything. That's really good. But do you, I mean, I I don't have children, but I have, I guess I've read an, Read, a snip, read snippets where I think that if I want my kids to eat something, mm-hmm. if I wanted children to eat something, I'd have to make it look a certain way make it not look like what it really is for example mm-hmm. at um a friend's child's birthday a few years ago i had seen something on facebook about how to make sandwich a snake out of round sandwiches oh yeah and i said oh, why don't i do that well that was the stupidest thing i ever wanted <laughs> to do so i got like cucumbers and i made a snake head and a snake tail and then i got bread and a round cutter and i made hundreds and hundreds of little round sandwiches and made them and then put them on a big platter and made them look like snakes. And that's dedication. 
It's stupidity. <laughs> I mean, it seemed to go, I mean, it goes down all right with the kids, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, kids do love that kind of thing. Mm. Well, up until a certain age, and then they go, do you think this is fooling us? <laughs> do you think this will work? Um, <laughs> I wasn't even trying to make it look like anything else. I was like, look at the big wiggly snake on the table. It's a cheese sandwich. No, and I think, you know, kids do appreciate that, but they also don't appreciate it at all and mm. just kind of, you know, tear it apart. And you think, <laughs> you could have at least put it on your Instagram. Um, so, yeah, there, there's an element of that in the book, but really... It's a sort of it's sort of the antithesis of of most fussy eating kind of books in mm. that yeah most books will say here's how to make um, hidden pasta sauce that's got veggies hidden in it mm. or here's how to trick kids into eating their vegetables and what I learned um, from having one kid with sensory issues and another kid with ongoing throat infections and problems with swallowing and things he was therefore you know quite justifiably not a big fan of food mm. at points was that. You, that doesn't really work long, time, long term. You can trick them, but not forever. Mm. And I really wanted them to be able to go off to university or their jobs or whatever and know how to use vegetables and not be kind of a, completely averse to using them ever again. Right. So I've thought about... And also I wanted to be able to go into the fridge and think, OK, we've got a bit of this left and a bit of that because I have a lot of friends who don't have kids and um, and they can do this. They go to the fridge and they go, oh, I'll just make a stir fry. And then they, they frolic into the kitchen mm. and make stir fry mm. and then they eat it. And I thought, I want that life, but with kids. <laughs> so so the book is all about kind of reintroducing variety slowly over five phases mm. so that slowly kids actually enjoy and want to eat different vegetables and different varieties and it does this by getting them interested in color where their food comes from um all sorts of different things like that with activities as well as recipes so you wouldn't just jump in right at the end and go okay this is a really weird recipe but apparently my kids will eat it it's about kind of working oh. through it oh that's why i start at page one exactly so it's a journey that you go on it's not a dip in and dip out exactly and it's had i think on amazon as i speak it's had something like 45 five star reviews how long has it been out? Um, since March, so sort of three, four months. Wow, okay. Yeah, which is great. And then it's had a couple of one stars. And the one stars tend to say, <laughs> um, why would my kids eat a pizza with, with food colouring in the in the dough? Or kind of like, you know, I don't think my kids would eat something with fennel in. It's like, but that's but that's because you're just looking at the recipes and you, I understand your frustration, mm. but buying the book doesn't automatically make your kids not fussy eaters anymore. Yeah. There is some work to be done and it is a phased program. And I almost want to reach out to them and go, let me help you. But obviously that's not quite how Amazon works. You can't just turn up at the house and go, let's no. talk about that one star review. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Um, this kind of blogging, parent blogging, mummy blogging, uh, do, what, do you have a term that you're more comfortable with, by the way? No, I don't really mind. I think, I kind of think as a white cis female that I'm kind of, I'm carrying so much privilege that I don't need to get delicate about being called a mummy blogger. So I'm fine. <laughs> because I feel like definitely in the beauty community, blogger is something that some people embrace and others don't some people have prejudices or mm -hmm. thought that it meant something that it didn't and I know some people prefer not to be called blogger so I wondered if that was similar in your community I think some people kind of progress onto different platforms so they'd rather be called a vlogger right. or influencer in professional terms so in a room with you know with PR people mm. or whatever I do not mind being called an influencer at all because in the context of what they want to mm. achieve I am I'm there to deliver the influence mm. um, but in real life for a consumer for a normal human to call me an influencer would be a bit weird 
Yeah. Because that means that they're kind of going, would you, what, how would you like to influence me today? Which is just not the relationship we have with real people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd prefer blogger or writer or... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That one who does cooking books. <laughs> Whatever works. It doesn't need, it's almost like it doesn't need to be defined. Yeah, and people do have their preconceptions and they have things like... Um, you know, you just do stuff for freebies mm. or, you know, um, actually my son must have picked something up at school because he said to me when he was cross about being denied something, you just use me as a prop. And I thought, oh, burn. And then I said, you do know that I don't show your face, use your name or talk about you on my blog. And he was like, oh, <laughs> so, it obviously heard something about mummy blogs in general or mm. maybe even about me in the school playground. Um I just thought, oh, well, brush it off, move on. I was going to ask you actually about boundaries with social media because mm. you, uh, your work is delivered via the internet and yeah. via social media platforms and obviously a physical or digital book, depending on how you, how you chose to consume it. What boundaries have you got in place? And obviously you've just said you don't put your children mm -hmm. face, name or talk about them. So how, how does that work in the mummy world? So you would think that it would mean I was utterly doomed because I can't <laughs> share cute baby pictures. I can't do first day back at school pictures. Mm. And that was just a conscious decision um, fairly early on that I was constantly worried if a, if a photo was inappropriate, if it was giving too much personal information mm. away. And I thought it's a lot easier if I just don't share any. Right. So I don't judge people who do. Everybody's got their own way of parenting and that you know they're comfortable with. But for me, I was fretting about it. So right. it's just easier not to and it's never done me any harm and actually I'm seeing more people do it now so I'm pretty sure that mother pucker doesn't show her kids faces anymore and I'm sure that, that, she, that her daughter was in some of the earlier videos and she just doesn't do it now mm. good for her she's made her own decision lots of people do there are lots of people who don't and I think it's just about who you want to be if you want to be the kind of blogger who talks in detail about your children then obviously you know you have to make that kind of decision for me I am constantly thinking about the fact that my kids can read. I don't want them to go on the blog and go, oh, we made mum really unhappy on Thursday. <laughs> and she was sort of wishing that we don't turn out to be serial killers. Um, so for me, it doesn't work. But, you know, there are lots of people who are very expressive online and it does work for them. And they've mm. obviously, you know, their kids understand what they're doing. For me, it's all about what I don't have to worry about. And as mm. long as those boundaries are set, then it's not an issue. You know, um, for example, sometimes newspapers will say I would really like a family photo so I, I don't do that. Mm. And it's as simple as that, mm. you know, <laughs> that's my line and I've drawn yeah. it. Um, I would be interested to know your thoughts on this. I believe it was Sally Hughes who said it, but don't quote me on this, talking about that we're not far away from a child suing or 
taking their parents to court because their life has already been documented visually on mm-hmm. social media platforms and therefore there's a, a, a breach of privacy um, and a lack of, yeah, just a complete lack of privacy because everything has been shared from baby photos, school first days, book days and everything like that. Do you, do you think that might be in the offing? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it certainly could be. Um, I think, you know, if, if Simula's been on The Good Wife, then it probably will happen in real life at some point. Um, <laughs> I don't watch The Good Wife, but now I feel like I should. Yeah, any kind of legal drama, I'm like, oh, it could happen, could happen. Um, yeah, I think I don't even share pictures on my private Facebook. Mm. It's just a blanket rule for me. And right. lots of people, lots of people do. So, yeah, it could even happen. And it's interesting because you have obviously the Google right to be forgotten. So in theory, a child could pretty much right to be forgotten their parents entire blog because if it's about them and they've said to google i don't want my name to appear in any of the search results then that person's blog would essentially disappear what's right to be forgotten um so i think and i could be wrong that it is the 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 right to not appear in search results so to essentially delete your digital footprint and it's an eu law so who knows after kind of after a couple of months, maybe it'll all be gone again. Mm. Um, but as, that's, as far as I understand it, very occasionally you will see in Google results, you know, when you get a really poor number of results and so you end up mm. at the end and it will say kind of certain results have been removed under the, the so-and-so oh. act. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's definitely something I'd like to learn a little bit more about. <laughs> I don't, not to necessarily delete anything, but I do think that's really, because you assume that once it's out there, it's out there. Yeah, and obviously to an extent I think it is. Mm. You can usually find things. Although very occasionally there'll be an, an old boyfriend or something that I just kind of want to see what they what what they <laughs> got up to. And you can't find them. And I'm like, hmm, <laughs> what have you got up to them? And you had to file a right to be forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you want to go through the data files. Has this person it's like um you know when you search files for like to find out if people are getting married or yeah. you know the things that you have to announce or get permission for beforehand. I mean, the this press is... used to. The reason I'm saying that is because as a journalist, that used to be the thing. If you wanted to find out some, if a celebrity was getting married, mm-hmm. you'd check the it's bands, isn't it? I don't really know. Yes, well, I used to work, and um, one of my first roles as a part time, so I think I was still studying, was at. Um, do you remember any questions answered? So you could text, and you'd get and you'd get an answer. Oh, I think it vaguely, cost a pound six treble three six. Any questions answered? Um, <laughs> And quite a lot of people would send ego texts. So that's, you say kind of who is Emily Leary and you see what can be found. And it's fun if it's somebody, you know, obviously if somebody asks who you are, it's easy. I can find you straight away, send the answer back. Mm. But if it's just kind of, you know, who is Jane Smith, then you have to get quite stalkery to be able to send something of value Mm. back. So I got very good at that. So now my friends know. So they so have wait, a kind hang of. So you were the person at the other end. Well, I was actually the manager of the uh, like a few hundred researchers at the other end. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, if it went, if it was difficult, it going to this kind of I've been waiting over ten minutes queue, and then I would effectively stalk to try and find an answer. So now, if my friends ever want to find an old boyfriend or something, I'm like, this leave this to me. Leave this to me. So this is fascinating. So people <laughs> text and say, "Who was Jane Smith?" Mm. And were you able to go back and say, like Alexa does, sorry, I don't understand? Yes, and then they would be able to claim their pound back. But we didn't like to do that. We wanted to give them an answer. Okay, but there were quite a lot of Jane Smiths. So. Yeah, and then we would just give them a Jane Smith and they'd go, no, it's a different one. And we just, we, they wanted to keep spending their pounds and that was oh, fine. so, okay, great, okay, great, but, I, mean, I understand. All sorts of questions. They could ask anything. They could, they could ask us to guess who would win it was before the internet was big that's all i can say it wouldn't i don't know if it's still going as a service but it wouldn't really work now 
What was the weirdest question that you ever, or the question that you just think that's genius? Um, I can't remember. It was so many years ago. We're talking like 15 years ago. But a lot of them would be kind of where do things come from or, or what do they look like when they grow? And there'd obviously be kind of 11 p.m. pub arguments. <laughs> And so you'd be trying to explain that um, that pineapples grow in a field, not on trees. And you could, you just knew you'd be sending it back and people would be going, see, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> do they really grow in fields? They do. They grow. They kind of look like big thistles. I just, as you said that, I've just realised I've never thought about where pineapples <laughs> come from. You see, I was offering a valuable service. That is a valuable service. I don't know where I thought they grew from. I'm going to go and have to have a word with myself later that is a little that's a lot of information for one (laughs) woman to take on um so there is talk about is it this book being turned into a tv show is that true i'll have one day maybe maybe well you seem to be good at turning your pipe dreams into reality so come on well my my kind of ethos in life is to focus on kind of little bits of progression so i used to be very focused on the end goal so like i must get four a's at a level and kind Mm -hmm. of everything is leading to this moment um and if i don't get the four a's then life is over um (laughs) and it's really depressing because you set yourself the next goal you know I, i want my blog to be top 10 in some ranking chart okay i'm there i want to be on local radio okay Mm. done so now i want to be on national now i want to be on tv Mm. um and because you're always setting yourself a new goal you're never actually just basking in the moment of having achieved something do you read my questions (laughs) my question is do you celebrate the milestones i do have a question on my piece of paper well yes i I did leave you alone in the room (laughs) i promise i didn't peep but no so i've learned to try to recognise that even the big achievements, even the big milestones are the result of those tiny little efforts and wins. And, you know, you know, when you kind of get to two o'clock in the afternoon, you think I better make myself some lunch and then you feel like you haven't done anything. Say, I need to go for that <laughs> or that. <laughs> and you think I don't I haven't done anything. I actually haven't. done. I've just sat at my desk. I haven't done anything. Mm. But actually, you've probably kind of answered 20 emails. Mm. You've probably kind of checked over all of your social media. You've maybe had a thought about where you're going to take a couple of projects mm. so you haven't ticked anything off but there's been so many little contributions towards your big milestones I think I felt that when I left magazines and I went freelance mm. and I would get to maybe I would have sat solidly at my desk for four hours mm-hmm. and in an office environment if you sit solidly at your desk at four hours you would you would assume you would have done a certain amount of work but I realized actually the quantity of work I get done at home yeah in front of my computer in four hours is a lot more mm-hmm. because there's no I'm not there's no red tape I'm not waiting for a meeting or anything like that do you feel that did you feel the same way having moved from digital marketing to working for yourself that that's what it's about is that actually a day spent at home working can be far more productive than a week in an office where you have restrictions or waiting for replies or something yes yes very much so but as you will know as well when it's your own platform and you're running it it also runs at entirely your own pace so Mm. if you're slacking nobody else is going to be kind of emailing and waiting for you Mm. it's it you can slow down the pace for yourself and again another danger that I've kind of learned to let go of a little bit is to think that therefore all time must be devoted to achieving as much as possible because there is no upper limit there are no you know kind of sales targets for the year or Mm. advertising levels that you must reach you're just trying to do the very best you can and increase your numbers Mm. and you know to get more of those lovely emails from people who you know who've enjoyed your content so you can just end up putting 
all of your time into it mm. um, and again if you're only looking for the big milestones and there's no limit to how much time you work then you can feel like you're achieving nothing whereas you're actually just working all the time yeah so yeah I've kind of again it ta- I think a lot of the time it takes making some mistakes in freelance to then kind of find your equilibrium and think okay this is actually more like a healthy job as opposed to mm. living and breathing it is there a mistake that you feel that you made with the blog or with being freelance that defined everything that you just went right I'm never going to screw that up again and that actually made you it made you much better for it was there a failure that led to a significant growth yeah I think um so if you look at somebody like um Zoella Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that she was so successful on YouTube is because YouTube was obviously her focus Mm -hmm. and she honed her craft there and she built her community there and and, you know I'm I'm sure her blog gets some very decent traffic because (laughs) she is Zoella Mm -hmm. but you know that's kind of her one platform and I tried to do everything because when you take on a client and you go into consultancy, then you you look at everything and mm. you decide, okay, first we'll focus on this platform, but for our customers, we have to be on all platforms. Um, and so I just tried to do everything. And I'm kind of stuck now because I have a community on all platforms and they all expect content. And mm. I would, uh, I mean, obviously they wouldn't cry and, and die if I stopped posting. I'm sure they would be a bit sad. Um, but, you know, I would lose all of that, all that I've mm. worked for if I stopped posting. So I am now committed to running every single platform all the time. Um, in retrospect, that might have been a bit ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> but I think ambition's a good thing. Mm. I really do. Like, I genuinely do. I did something similar. I added a load of content streams and then realized if I do that, I'm going to stop, not stop enjoying, but I'm not going to have any time to enjoy Yeah. or maybe be responsive. I might actually have overstretched myself. So I might miss out on an amazing opportunity to like mm-hmm. suddenly drop everything and go and interview, you know, an A-lister in a hotel or go and ha- take certain trip, you know? And yeah. I just thought, right, my, my, my outfit's going to be a bit more random. It's not going to be on a strict schedule because if it's on a strict schedule, I, I might not look up at a moment and see something wonderful, an yeah. opportunity or a sunset. And it's very hard to be creative if you're always on a production line. You don't mm. think of your best ideas, you know, or you don't notice those trends where you go, actually, if I kind of veer off slightly over here, it's mm. going to do something really exciting mm. to my favourite platform because you're just too busy kind of chugging yeah. along. Um, and I have very much changed the way that I run all my platforms now which is I just do the thing that works best for that platform on each of them so mm-hmm. my Twitter I just talk nonsense that's pretty much <laughs> what I do on there it's that great seems to be Twitter's way I love it and and for some reason you know we're all quite good friends on Twitter so then when you do do something like bring out a book people are kind mm-hmm. of like yay and brought out a book mm-hmm. and you get lots of retweets and you get that support um without actually having to to kind of build business Mm. connections so I love Twitter for that so that's all I do and I will share new blog posts and things but I don't pressure myself to kind of get any kind of conversion or engagement in particular Mm -hmm. whereas on Facebook everyone on my page really just likes chatting about kind of like where they were when Lion King came out (laughs) fine let's do that all day so we do a lot of that and then when I share a recipe you know again they feel that we have a relationship Mm. and so they're excited and they help me to kind of spread that message but yeah it's very much about just knowing what works rather than just trying to put everything on all of them and make sure that Mm. it goes as far as it can 
So do you feel like you are able to enjoy it, that you've, you know, you enjoy the moments between the notes, as it were? Yeah, I mean, things are pretty intensive at the moment because I've been doing a lot of live demos and talks. Mm. So 26 dates in all between kind of, yeah, sort of mid-June and, and September I've done, wow. which is a lot. Yeah. It's more than like the last Megadeth World Tour or something. Um, <laughs> so that and, and that was one of those things where I was like, I must have as many dates as possible. And I was kind of saying to the publisher and everybody, like, you must book me in everywhere. And they were going, really? Yes, every weekend I want to be promoting. Mm. And kind of halfway through, I'm thinking, oh, no, what have I done? So, But when you get to the end of it and you realise that everyone else who said, that's a lot, when you get to the end of it and you're yeah. like, but I did it, yeah. will you set another goal immediately or will you do a little dance, put some Megadeth on and go, I did it? Definitely a bit of both. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm growing as a person. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I had an email um, from a client saying, okay, so the next um, event that we're doing will probably be um, last week in August, are you free? And I, like some kind of born again person said, um, I, I am free at the moment, but I have a lot of tour dates for the book and I would really like some downtime. So can we book this in soon? And I thought, my God, I actually publicly expressed rather than thinking it would make me seem weak mm. that I actually need to build downtime into mm. my life. So yeah, I mean, th this has been such a learning experience in so many ways, but I've definitely... I definitely still need to kind of revisit the work-life balance. It's the same as with anything, with exercise, diet, um, fussy eating for kids, anything. You, occasionally you just need to step back and think, I might just need to kind of rejig this slightly. Mm. But I am certainly learning to, yeah, to enjoy it all again after, after a fairly intensive period in the first few years of kind of learning mm. it's I really love it and actually I've been doing this eight years so it's definitely the longest I've ever had one job mm. <laughs> was there a point where you had the blog and then you were able to monetize it did you feel like that was um the toughest period of turbulence when the interest in you wasn't just in your content and wanting to make your recipes it was we see you as somebody who can sell our product for us and did your background help or did you find that a difficult transition into the money side of things? I think it was odd because some of the things I was being asked to do, I couldn't really see how they had a very good campaign objective. And I couldn't really see how working with me was going to actually achieve whatever they needed to achieve. And so the marketer in me wanted to say, but why? <laughs> um, and so I did start to work with clients a little bit more. And I actually kind of worked my way up the pecking order in terms of the types of campaigns I got quite quickly. Mm. And I think it was because they'd send a brief and I would send back questions and say, actually, but what is it you're trying you to value. achieve? Yeah, because there's absolutely no point in me just just doing this mm. if ultimately you want people to think more of this. Yes. And I'd have a lot of conversations um, with marketers about the difference between kind of straight out advertorials and that kind of you know kind of more brand warmth awareness and I said look bloggers people aren't going to read about a new product and then immediately buy it even from the biggest influencers some might but the majority will log it into their memory and then the next time they're on you know boots or whatever they'll think okay I've seen that recommended mm -hmm. now I'll buy it and so in terms of kind of credit or um, conversion kind of mm. clicks and all that kind of thing it's not necessarily sitting with the blog mm. so I was explaining all of this at the same time there were lots of bloggers who were working with um, brands for the first time 
and I was in forums with them on things like Facebook. And so at the same time, I was explaining to them kind of the reason you're being asked to do this or the reason that they're asking you to also give them full license to the images is that it then allows them to use it on the website. So you need to think about whether you want your children to appear on an ad Mm. without you having known about it so I was kind of like this weird go-between in the early years um, which now I think about it was a massive amount of work for no extra pay but Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's kind of what I was doing so that was really turbulent but in terms of my blog I think I was really lucky because I'd set it up to be useful and informative as opposed to hugely narrative Mm. it meant that brands didn't really sit uncomfortably on my website because I was choosing the ones that I genuinely believed in Mm. and I was producing the same sort of useful content but with an ad symbol on it. Well, that also speaks to what you were saying about um, useful and informative. I have definitely seen coverage of people who have blogs about parenting mm-hmm. or say that they this is how to parent and it can be quite controversial because people can be like please don't tell me how to parent my kids yeah and of course you can do that because you've got loads of money or of course you can do that because you have an advantage or a privilege that I don't have mm-hmm. but that doesn't seem to be at all the space that you come from no I really don't ever want to be preachy or to say that this is the way that you should do it and even the language of the book and even little small things like it talks about parents all the way through not mums Mm. because I hate the assumption that there will be kind of matriarch making all the eating decisions Mm. in our house at the moment in the last few months because I'm working so much my husband is absolutely running the home he knows when all the clubs are you know it's me that has no idea what's going on and he's doing it all so I think it's really important and obviously you know you have same-sex couples and things so Mm. I just talk about parents um and yet never you should so I'll say kind of if you keep trying this Mm. it might not work the first time but you will start to see results but I'll never tell somebody you know kind of it's all your fault because that is the kind of advice that as a parent in 2007 when I first became a parent everything online was just yeah parents kind of having fingers wagged at them and telling them how they should and shouldn't do things and we don't need any more of that on the (laughs) internet (laughs) no I remember a friend of mine put a picture of um it's probably on Instagram or Facebook or something, a mm. picture, it was on Twitter, of course it was, a picture of her baby asleep with the little monitor next to it and the temperature symbol was in the corner and the, ironically, the heat she got from a couple of people. Wow. Like, Your baby's going to be too warm if the temperature's like that. And of course it comes down five minutes later, there's a there's a crying episode and then they're saying I'm a bad parent. Yeah, and it's absolutely horrible and... I think we have hit a bit of a crescendo, actually, with that in general Mm. and the kind of criticism online. So I am quite left wing, unapologetically, definitely a feminist, definitely quite left wing. Mm. Um, And I will call out racism and bigotry when I see it. I won't put up with, you know men being friendly in my dms absolutely you know i absolutely won't put up with any of that nonsense yeah (laughs) or just the high repeatedly repeatedly high it's like at what point do you think this will work Mm. um yes so i'll speak out against all of that but and then you'll speak out against something really significant so for example you know the removal of the of the suicide depiction in 13 reasons why Mm. was removed because a professor advised that it was it was having or could very likely have a direct impact on suicidal Mm. ideation and then people say oh it's just virtue signaling that's why they deleted it and you go well no it's it's evidence-based science is why they deleted it but then you have you know people being seen with a, a plastic pencil and everybody attacking them and going i can't believe you're holding a piece of plastic you're the worst human being in the world and the problem is that that then drowns out the really important conversations. Yes, absolutely, we should, we should be reducing plastic and we should be speaking out against every ism and phobia. But 
what we shouldn't be doing is just getting really comfortable at shouting at each other about every little mistake. Yeah, it's an, I, got, I got caught up in it. I rarely post on Twitter mm. because I feel as though tone can be misheard mm -hmm. or what have you and this is so daft but last night a drag queen went onto social media and complained and was saying I give everything out on stage that's why I don't do pictures at the stage door please mm. respect that I'm tired and I just posted um Tom Cruise Will Smith and The Rock spent hours signing pictures taking photographs at premieres I'm not saying that you don't have a point, but maybe career longevity. I don't even know why I got into it. And then someone came back to me and was like, the people that you mentioned uh, don't, don't make eye contact with their staff who they pay and live in their homes. <laughs> and then I just thought, this is everything that's wrong with Twitter because I didn't have my facts. I mean, I, I, mean, I do, I have seen them do that. But it's, it's a lot of shouting yeah. opinion and not necessarily like, um, I don't know what I was going to say. Um, there's a blogger who specializes in beauty who put up an ad recently and mm. the ad had a claim in it, a health claim right. that it treated a very serious health condition. I won't go into the details. And she was challenged. And her answer was, if you go onto Google, you can find this. Yeah. And that's where I, that's where I think things go a bit wrong. People just going, this, this thing is green and they're holding up something that's, you know, not green. And that is, I mean, obviously with health claims, you would hope that an influencer would take responsibility to research it. But I think it's something that anybody who works with a brand, we're all vulnerable to believe something in the brief mm. that we're given. Um, and I know that there was another influencer that got in trouble recently because they recommended, I think it was an antihistamine, but it also helps you sleep. But she was, she was called out um, because celebrities aren't allowed to promote um, medicines. Right. And um, the ASA ruled that for the purposes mm. of, of this particular advert, that she was a celebrity. Right. She's got kind of 30,000 followers, so not huge. Mm. Um, and I think I can understand how she could have made that mistake mm. because apparently it does make you sleepy. Mm. Um, she, she's not a celebrity and that, you know, she's not on TV or anything like that. Mm. Um, and obviously she got called out with her full um, private address on the ASA report and everything. And I just thought we're all absolutely vulnerable to it. And But that's when, when you get the brief, mm -hmm. you look at it, you ask questions, as you said. Yeah. And th th there have been times when I've agreed to something and it's arrived and I don't like it. Mm. And, you know, and you have to say, look, this in, this a contract was on the basis that I felt I could recommend this and it mm. turns out I, won't, I wouldn't say it's rubbish to a client <laughs> but I'd say kind of I'm afraid I can't progress with this mm. or actually it's turned up and it's in six layers of plastic and I can't mm. I can't do a video unwrapping this because right, it's because yeah, it's got yeah. six layers of plastic um so it does happen um but generally if I call people out it is because I'm absolutely sure that what they're doing is wrong and I feel like there's a chance they might listen Right. But I try not to kind of celebrate people's mistakes because I think that we're all mm. we're all fallible and it's a very fine line. Mm. It's tough, though. Yeah, very tough, especially if you're tired and a bit grumpy and something really rubs you up the wrong way. I definitely come from the school of if you have to think about whether you should tweet it, don't. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, I probably, you know, I say I tweet, I don't know. 20 times a day mm. I don't know I probably write double that in terms of the number of tweets and I think <laughs> no no either it's either don't argue with this person mm. or I'll 
it'll be something stupid I've done, like you've fallen over, and I'll tell the story and I think, don't tweet that, mm. Emily. They don't, they, you know, kind of every now and then they can know how rubbish you are, but don't tell them you've fallen <laughs> over every day. But then I also get caught up in the thing. I remember Caroline Hiron saying to me, if you don't stand for something, you fall for everything. Mm. And then, then that made me think, oh, maybe I need to stand up for this thing. But the worst place to build your muscles of standing up for causes is probably Twitter. It's just so weird. I had an argument by mistake with loads of people because I was talking to a friend um, about um, hair, on women's hair and how ridiculous it is. This was a few years ago, so the conversation is more open now. But how ridiculous it is that there's this expectation that women are hairless, kind mm. of, and that having hair is somehow disgusting when obviously it's the default. It's mm. not unclean, scientifically speaking. Mm. Um, so we're kind of having this conversation um, about kind of being unapologetically hairy at times. And, and and hairless if we want to be. And um, Amanda Palmer ended up in the conversation. So, of course, as soon as Amanda Palmer is in a conversation, you get obviously all of her fans. Um, she is kind of a rock star. She's really cool. She's she's also married to Neil Gaiman, so she tweets a lot of stuff oh about Neil God. Gaiman. She's very cool. Okay. Um, and she's, she's kind of the kind of person who would talk about having hairy armpits. Right. So she's kind of punk. Um, and she got involved and so obviously all of her fans got involved which means all of her kind of enemies got involved and all of a sudden we were getting all these messages going you are disgusting I can't believe that your husband would even touch you and I was like well actually I have actually shaved today I was just saying that sometimes oh my god like I do feel passionately that women should be able to have complete agency over their bodies Mm -hmm. and they should have hair of it but I'm not this passionate about it that now suddenly I'm fighting the whole world (laughs) can I just take it back and go away but yeah you get very you get locked into a position and all you know it's uh, it's that thing where suddenly you are the bastion for hairy armpits it wasn't quite my plan for that week (laughs) from from digital marketing and BT campaigns to hairy armpits yeah, uh, that's a that's a cautionary tale, <laughs> isn't it? Just to be careful on social media. Um, we've come to the end of our time together, but I've had such fun. It's been amazing, so much fun. It's been so good, and obviously the links to your book, "Get Your Kids to Eat Anything" by Emily Leary, will be in uh, the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this. Um, I also feel like we should do a special episode with porno and weightlifting. Yes, that would be Women great. And weightlifting, I think, could be a really interesting episode. So let's set that up. Yeah, and Jess Foster Q as well, who um, is often on Guilty Feminist. She lifts weights as well. Oh, mm. Let's make it happen. <laughs> let's make it happen. You can cater. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, I just want to remind you that it is so easy to get in touch with me. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I'm never not delighted to hear from you. Also, if you fancy something a little less formal, you could always slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter, where I am at Emma Guns. Or if you want to speak to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming or downloading this episode, and click the link to join the closed Facebook group. That place is a lot of fun and it is social media at its best. There we go. And if you do feel so inclined, you're listening and you think, oh, I'm really enjoying this, please do leave a five-star review and maybe even a sentence or two about what you have enjoyed about an episode or the show. Thank you once again for your time. It's always such an honour to share it with you. I will see you on the next one.